Let's open our Bibles, please, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, chapter 4. We didn't quite finish the fourth chapter. We read verse 23 in the fourth chapter. And we'll pick up with verse 23 and read it again because it actually is kind of the beginning of a paragraph there in your Bible. And though we studied it, we'll connect it all together because it's hard sometimes to separate verses there that uh, need to be kept in one uh, segment. Verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. We said the springs of life, the, the uh, things that we do in life, our heart matters. And it tells us to keep our heart with all diligence, all of our uh, social life, our fellowship in the church, our business life, our uh, family life, everything about our lives uh, proceed from the heart. Remember Jesus said, out of the heart of man proceedeth, if it's e- even if it's evil, he says evil thoughts and murders, thefts, adulterers, and etc. So if we keep our hearts with all diligence, we have to guard against those evil things that could spring from the inner uh, carnal nature, and we have to let the spiritual nature uh, guide the springs of our lives and things of our lives. In verse 24, this is where we pick up. It says, Put away from thee. Notice, if you'll notice how the Scripture uh, puts it, it doesn't say, uh, put away from thy presence as if it's out here somewhere near you, but a put away from thee as if you possess it. See? In other words, put away from thee vanity and lies. It says, remove from me. It doesn't say, remove me from in another place. Remove from me vanity and lies. In other words, we have it, don't we? And he says, get it away from us. And that's the same thrust here. It says, put away from thee a forward mouth and perverse lips. Put far from thee. In other words, superficial habits of talk. Uh, a forward mouth and perverse lips. All the kinds of conversation that would be uh, ill-used. Verse uh, 25. Let thine eyes look right on. And let thine eyelids look straight before thee. In other words, keep the ultimate goal before your view, right? Uh, You remember Paul said in the book of Philippians, he says, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the mark. He had a mark and a goal, didn't he? For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so we need to set the goal of our lives to, you know, the, the goal of our life, what it really should be. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That's really, you could just sum it up and say, let's try to do God's will. And of course we know we need to be saved by grace through faith. We know uh, that we need to uh, observe certain things as Christians. But all of it comes under the category of doing the will of God. And that's why Jesus says, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So you might say, a lot of times we use the term, that's the bottom line, huh? Okay? And if you look at this verse again, it says, Let thine eyes look right on, and thine eyelids look straight before thee. I want you to turn to Proverbs. Hold your place there where we're studying. Turn to Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24. I want you to see something here in Proverbs 17, verse 24. We've been studying uh, rather uh, 
consistently the thought of wisdom so far in the book of Proverbs. And right here we come across it again, even over in... It's always, uh, always through the book. It's all through the book. But I want you to notice this 24th verse and see what you can get out of it. It says, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are in the ends of the earth. Now, with that, hold that place and look again at that verse we read. Let thine eyes look right on, and thine eyelids look straight before thee. In other words, don't get your eyes over in the end of the earth so that you miss what, you're, what is right before you. Look at 1724 again now. I want you to see something. Wisdom is before him. That means it's close by him. That it's near. That it's right close. That don't, don't look over the wisdom. Don't get to looking so far off that you're like the fool whose eyes are in the ends of the earth. He sees the ends of the earth, but he can't even see the step before him. He don't know how to take the next step. And a lot of folks get that way. They get their eyes so far off that they can't see what's before them. And, uh, you know, if you ever look for something, say, oh, that's way over there, and you start looking and find it right there in front of your eyes. You know, we say, it's right in front of your eyes. <laughs> you know, look all over for it. Well, that's kind of like what we're talking about here. But and it, it connects wisdom and understanding there. Now back in our text, 4 verse 26, it says, Ponder the path of thy feet. Uh, if you'll notice from verse 21, it says eyes and heart. And it says mouth in verse 24. It says uh, eyes again, eyelids in verse 25. It says feet here now. Ponder in verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet. And let all our ways be established. In other words, let them be secure. Let them be firm. Let them, you know where you're going. Take a safe step. Brother Randy was talking a little bit ago about the slippery steps. Don't, don't be stepping on the ice and sliding out, letting your feet slide out from under you. Be established. In other words, when you put your feet down, know that you're not going to fall. And in the things of God we're talking about now. See what I mean? So it says, uh, <clears throat> By the way, if you have Psalm, hold your place now and put, and turn to Psalm 119, verse 133. Psalm 119, verse 133. And it says, look at this. Order my steps. Order my steps in thy word. Well, that's good, isn't it? Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion, dominion over me. That's a good text. We preached on that before. So, we go by steps, do we not? You don't go by leaps and bounds. You go by steps. So he says, order my steps, but how are they to be ordered? In thy word, be guided and directed by the word. And then he says the negative side, and let not any iniquity. He didn't say let this, this or that iniquity, but let not any iniquity have dominion. That means to rule and to control you. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Back in our text. So look at verse 26 again. Ponder the path of thy feet. In other words, order your steps. Know where each step is going. Know that it's going as God's word directs. And let all thy ways be established, and they will be established. Uh, actually, you have a marginal reference on that last phrase, which says, All thy ways shall be ordered aright. 
Do you have a marginal reference on the last part of that verse? If you do, it'll say, Let all, uh, all thy ways shall be ordered aright. When it says established, you'll be walking right. Now then, verse 27. Notice it says, Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. That means you're following specific directions, right? In other words, do not err from the guided path. And we've already indicated that that pathway comes as God's Word directs that path. And it says, Turn not from it to the right hand, uh, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. So we see how carefully we must order our steps. Uh, if you have uh, Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, uh, God is instructing Joshua after Moses' death. He comes to Joshua and he says, Now, Moses, my minister, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he says, uh, Joshua, you arise. And uh, verse 7 he says, and here's the continued instructions, Only be thou strong and very courageous, verse 7, that thou mayest observe to do all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Now here you have it. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. Isn't that what Proverbs says? And he says, That thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8 now. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In other words, it shall be your complete uh, meditation. What? Day and night. And it says that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then uh, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he first says observe it, uh, meditate in it, follow it, you'll prosper. And he says obey it. Learn to do according to all. To do means to obey, right? So verse 7 and 8 would be good. And there's the whole passage of Joshua 1 there would be good for what we're talking about. Now then, if you'll turn back to the book of Proverbs, chapter 5. Now this is a very difficult chapter. It's only 23 verses, but it's difficult to teach in some ways because it gets very explicit about certain uh, relationships with, uh, we might say, a strange woman, which is called here a strange woman, which is actually an harlot or an adulteress, could be either, and in some cases uh, either one are thought of. But I want to divide this chapter into three different sections, verses 1 through 6. Well, first of all, let's title it. Let's title it, Wisdom About Marriage. Wisdom About Marriage. And then we'll also say, uh, in verses 1 through 6, the seductress, the seductress, verses 7 through 14, the price of unchastity, and verses 15 through 23, fidelity is, be is the better path. In other words, really having a, 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 an honest married life, a good relationship between husband and wife. It's the best path, better than... Better than uh, the seductress, better than the adulteress, better than the, uh, the harlot, and uh, the price that's to be paid is verses 7 through 14. I'll give you that again. Wisdom about marriage. That's the whole chapter. And then the first six verses, the seductress. We're going to see how the, the strange woman or the harlot seduces her uh, prey or those that would yield to her sinful overtures. 
And then we'll see in verses 7 through 14 the price that has to be paid for unchastity, for an unchaste life. And then we'll see in verses 15 through 23 how fidelity is the better path. In other words, how a real good marriage is the best path. And when you have other kinds of relationships, all the price has to be paid somewhere down the line. Never forget it. And let's study this. We might say that verse 1 and 2 is kind of introduction to this first thought because uh, verses 1 and 2, the, each of us are instructed to attend to the words of wisdom. And let's read those by way of introduction. Then we'll get into the seductors actually beginning with verse 3 through 6. But you, if you want to divide the chapter up, just include the first six verses that way. Verse, um, if you need that again at some time, I can give it to you. All right? In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, My son, attend unto my word, unto my wisdom, and, and bow thine ear to my understanding. In other words, give attention, full attention and consideration. Know what you've been taught. You remember these first four chapters? He's taught wisdom and understanding all through. And now he says, attend to those things. Take those things to heart. Give full consideration to them. And then he says, and bow thine ear to my understanding. Listen intently. And in, I believe the word bow would also indicate submission to it. Bow thine ear. In other words, not only to hear it, but be submissive to, to the words of wisdom. In verse 2 it says, That thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. In other words, they become a permanent... You not only regard them, that you're taught by them, but you keep them, uh, they become a permanent part of you. It's like when the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And do you know, in the New Testament, we're studying in Colossians, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. So you have the same impact all the way through the, the Scripture. You know, though there are some Scriptures that seem to be contradictory, yet the whole of God's Word is in harmony. And, and uh, when you find something that doesn't seem to add up to something else, remember that sometimes there are exceptions to the rule. In, in other words, there are some things that we do not understand why that God has made some exceptions along the way or permit some exceptions to the general rule and trend of things. For instance, let me give you an exception. The psalmist David, he says, uh, I've been young, now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Right? But you get over in the New Testament, and a very blessed and wonderful man was, Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. That's the exception, isn't it? That's really the exception. And it happens sometimes. And for all the interwoven uh, reasons, we do not know. That's why people sometimes, uh, when they follow God's Word in certain directions, and then all, uh, all of a sudden the exception to the rule happens to them, they say, God, why? You know, we begin to question God. But, but the Bible tells us another thing to assure us even in that situation of Lazarus, when he died, he was carried by the angels to Abraham. And the rich man died, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. So you see that this life is not all the focus point, is it? And so we have to get things uh, in, into, uh, into 
realize that God's Word is in harmony and God's Word gives us the general directions to go and yet if you run across a stumbling block along the way and say, well, I did that and look what happened to me. Remember, the I've heard preachers say, well, if you don't tie, your house might burn down or, or you do or you have an automobile wreck and have to repair your car. <laughs> but suppose you do tie and one of these things happens to you. See? That's the exception, isn't it? Well, God has a reason. But thank God that, that you still have life and health and strength. Thank God that if your house burned down, you got out of the fire, right? And, and you escaped with your life. Or maybe your family didn't burn up. They were rescued or whatever the situation. So remember that you don't put everything in black and white all along the road and say, if you do one, two will happen. Or if you do one, two, and three, all these... Four, five, and six will be the results. It's not always that way. We, we sometimes wonder why uh, the righteous perish. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. I don't know, this may be off the beaten track, but maybe it will help you anyway. Uh, Isaiah 57. I want you to look at this verse. Verse 1. Verse 1. It's kind of baffling, isn't it? It says, The righteous perisheth. Oh, look at that. The righteous perisheth, and no man layeth it to heart. And merciful men are taken, taken away. Now look, none considering that the righteous is taken away from the evil to come. You see, if the righteous are suddenly cut off, there may be a perfect, perfectly logical reason in the sight of the omnipotent God. But we don't understand. So you look at that verse and ponder it. It says, He shall enter into peace, and they shall rest in their beds, each one waking in his uprightness. Okay, that's a good verse. Isaiah 57, verse 1 is good when you don't understand why some of these things go against the grain. Back in our text now, we're talking about in verse uh, 2. It says, uh, That thou mayest regard discretion, it's five, Proverbs 5, verse 2, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. Now then, the verses 3 through 6 really give us the, the uh, actual um, details of this um, seductress. We'll call the strange woman here either an harlot or an adulteress. And she's spoken of here as a strange woman. Verse 3, For the lips of a strange woman... Drop as an honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Look at that. She's a strange woman, or she's a woman that is a, an alien or foreigner to the, all that is right and true. In other words, we see the sinfulness brought out, the vice. She's strange in the sight of God. And do you know, uh, all vice, not only the uh, harlot, the adulteress, but all vice. If you want to apply this scripture to ourselves, all vice is strange in the sight of God. He disapproves of it. So it's just as adulterous for you and I to be worldly. Remember, James says, you adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what did he say? Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You say, well, I never did commit adultery or fornication or anything like that, but did, are you spiritually joined to the world and you're supposed to be spiritually joined to the Lord and living for God? That's what James, that's how James interprets that scripture. And so here, all vice then. And it says, um, uh, 
For the lips of the strange woman drop as in honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother, smoother than oil. It means that even the words of her mouth, in other words, deception. We're talking about deception. We're talking about uh, uh, the actual persuasiveness. Apply this over into... Now, we see this in the physical sense of the word right here. But I want you to apply this to the spiritual aspect of it. You know, Paul says, we did not use persuasive words, right? In other words, to deceive people. So, actually, in spiritual things, we can be just like the strange woman. We can cause people to fall for something that's wrong by over-persuasion. If you have uh, the book of 1 Corinthians... Turn to it. Hold your place where we're studying. First Corinthians. Let me give you this. Chapter two. It says, um, I want you to notice this. Uh, verses one through four. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. A lot of people have determined to know a lot of things, but Paul says, I'm going to limit my knowledge and I'm going not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 3, And I was with you in meekness, weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching, now notice this, was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. That is, persuasive words. That is, he did not tried to persuade people of his own accord or from the fleshly viewpoint. But he says, But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It's a good lesson, isn't it? Come back here to verse uh, in our text now. In uh, Proverbs 5, it says, Her mouth is smoother than oil. Now, in the physical sense, the, uh, the harlot or the adulteress will entice and use persuasive words and, and make as if everything is all right when it is all wrong, completely wrong. Look at verse 4. It says, But her end is bitter as wormwood. This is like poison. Wormwood is... Remember the, over in the book of Revelation when we saw those... We, we looked at those that were deceived and it says there was one that was called wormwood. Poisonous. Over in the book of Revelation, in our te false teachings there that, that are permeated through, during the tribulation period. And this is compared to this adulterous woman or this harlot woman. Her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. But her word is very sharp. So it's very hard to overcome. In other words, it's almost as strong as the, the Word of God to persuade people to do right. Hers is almost as strong to persuade people to do wrong. Not only in the physical sense here, but in the spiritual sense of the Word. The deceptive uh, teachings of God's Word. I mean, against God's Word. I shouldn't say of God's Word, but against God's Word. And there are deceptive teachings against the, word of, uh, the true Word of God. Now look, it says... Here, her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. How senseless and how foolish and how stupid it is for a man to fall for the adulteress or the harlot for her uh, persuasive speeches. And it says in verse 3, her mouth is smooth, smoother than all. It's a shame for a man to be deceived. 
by such. And many are deceived. And even in the ministry it happens. And I don't mean by that to say that any, any human being is above it all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that according to God's Word, we are to, are to take care of this situation. And we're to make uh, sure that God's Word guides us in the right direction and that we don't get ourselves into situations that lead to such temptations. And we know, if you look on the news, and I think I saw it again today, three illustrations of the great falls of the last couple of years of, in the ministry of great uh, giant, giant leaders in our nation. And you know, without me naming them, but we, we know it's happened. And it doesn't mean that, the, that at some point in time all the intentions of these men were not holy and right, but it means that they let the situation get uh, the best of them. And it happens all over. And that's something that all preachers, deacons, teachers need to guard against. It's all Christians need to guard against, and especially in the ministry. And we, I, just, I just pray that God will keep us from such a fall because it not only ruins your life, but it ruins the lives of all those that you've tried to influence in life. It's a great, uh, it's a great downfall to them if you've tried to be an example. And though they, don't, they shouldn't look up at you as above those temptations, yet many people do. In spite of it, they shouldn't do it because, after all, all of us are human. But on the other hand, uh, we must guard by God's Word. God's Word will guide our steps, right? Now look at this. It says, Her feet go down to death. Look at that. Her feet go down to death. Physical death, many times, and spiritual death, and eternal death. You know, there's physical death that this can cause. It happens every day. It happens every day. The harlot uh, and her... Uh, Companions, the adulteress and her companions, the uh, the uh, physical death comes in one way or another, either by suicides or homicides, or and the spiritual death is the is the indication that that is the condition mostly uh, surrounding uh, these situations, and then we know that all ends in eternal death, separation from God, where there. Fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. And so it's a very tragic thing to... And yet people read this and they, they don't pay too much attention to it. Look, her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell. Then it says, Lest thou shouldest ponder the path of life, her ways are movable, that thou canst not know them. In other words, every other word is a change of direction. You never know where they stand. Her ways, if we're talking about the harlot and the adulteress, her ways are movable. If we're talking about those that are deceptive in spiritual things, how, how, how unstable are the ways of those that try to deceive you in spiritual realm? They don't know what they stand for from one time to the next, right? And yet her ways are movable, but they are deceptive and her paths lead to death. That's why I've tried to encourage Christians, young people especially, you get into the Word of God, you learn the doctrines of grace and of faith, and when these people come along trying to shuffle you off in some direction, it says, let us not be children anymore tossed to and fro by, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Right? That's Ephesians 4, 
Verse 14, I believe it is. And so you want to be grounded in the Word of God. And you get grounded. Get wisdom. We've been studying here earlier. It says, get wisdom. Get understanding. With all thy getting, it says, get understanding. All right, look at this again. It says in verse 6, Lest thou shouldst ponder the path of life, her ways are movable. In other words, she doesn't stand. She's on slippery ground all the time. She's always moving around. She's always using different words and different, different uh, theories and different uh, snares and traps to try to deceive. That thou canst not know them. You can't know all the ways. You can't know all the ways the devil uses to try to persuade people to temptation and to sin and to, and to deceit and to, and to uh, deception. All right, verse 7. Now, we get into uh, the price of falling for such temptation as been described. The price of unchastity, we'll call it, from verses 7 through 14. Let's take it under that heading now. What's the price to be paid? First of all, look here. It says, Hear me now, therefore, O ye children, and depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh to the door, nigh the door of her house. There's the warning, isn't it? Remove thy way far from her. Don't even come near the door of her house. Don't even get close. The closer you get, the greater there's a temptation to fall into sin. See, people don't realize you don't just, uh, a young man doesn't just say, I'm going out here and go that direction. He usually gets a little too close in the situation, the circumstances, uh, the temptation arises. Uh, he, he's too close in the, uh, uh, in the surroundings of such as uh, uh, evil goings to the harlot's house or to the condition where you'd fall into adultery. And that would be uh, with the other man's uh, wife that would be close by you, that would tempt you. That's what I'm talking about. Someone says, well, how, how's that going to happen to me? I'm a good guy. I try to live right. I try to do right. Don't get in the situation. That's the only way you're going to be protected from it. Don't start opening up the door for it. Don't ever give it one... Look at this. Look at this very carefully. You know, the Word of God doesn't, doesn't play around. It tells, remove thy way far, far from her. That doesn't mean down the road about 100 yards, does it? Or 50 feet. Far from her. I'd say that's over a mile or five miles. Long ways off. Get away, right? And then it says, and come not nigh the door of her house. And then it says in verse 9, Lest thou give thine honor unto others and thy years unto the cruel. How senseless and how stupid to fall for short-lived pleasures. And it says, Lest strangers look here at the consequences. We're talking about the price of it. You can lose everything. Lest strangers be filled with thy wealth and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. You can lose everything. Vice will soon scatter a man from his fortune, it, regardless of what you might have. Your substance will be wasted. Remember, that was the complaint of the elder brother for the prodigal son. The prodigal's wasted. It says there he wasted all his substance with riotous living. You know what the elder son said? Luke 15. 
Look at verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. Now, at least he told the truth about that. Now, we, we, we uh, praise the prodigal son for his return, and certainly we are glad that the father was with it, out there with open arms to receive him when he repented of his sin, when he came back, aren't we? We're glad of that. But look, the elder son at least did know how it happened. He knew how it happened. He knew how he ended up in the hog pen. He knew how that, he knew how that uh, faithless prodigal running away from home and spending all of his inheritance, how he had wasted his substance with riotous living. And he says he has devoured his living with harlots. And yet we have the other side of the story. We're, we're certainly grateful that the father, when, he, when the son repented, and said, I will arise and go to my father. We're certainly grateful that the father, when he was yet a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and, and kissed him. In other words, he forgave him, and he's willing to receive him. We're glad for that aspect of it. And that's the main story, really. But I was just pointing out how the elder son really knew how he lost it, didn't he? He knew how he lost it all. Back to this, Proverbs 5. Proverbs 5, lest strangers... Be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. Have you ever thought that what you've earned in life could go down the drain in a moment's time with the wrong kind of living? You say, well, I've worked all my life, and I've gotten to point A from point A to point B, and boy, everything seems to be fairly secure and fairly well off. That's fine. Just keep it that way. That's all I can say. Keep it that way. And it says, look in verse 11, And thou mourn at the last. How a man ends up is very important, isn't it? Remorse. How bitter the pangs of self-accusation. You know, when this situation happens, the, the consequences would be that a person would have to mourn over his stupidity and over his silly, uh, fickle, uh, self uh, desires and indulgences and finally have to mourn at the last or at the end of his life or at the end of the situation if he had fallen for such a trap and snare when thy flesh and thy body are consumed in other words it will be on to the end of life and of course we know we spake, we spake a little bit ago of death and then we spake of physical death which is involved in and, uh, spiritual death and eternal death. And for the unsaved, we know that th those are the, the final results, aren't they? For the unsaved person. But notice here, it says, um, And say, you'd continue to accuse yourself. You'd continue to have remorse. You'd continue to say, in verse 12, How, how have I hated instruction? How in the world could I overlook being instructed and having wisdom and understanding and my heart despise reproof? How could I refuse the direct word of God when it gave me all the warnings and the wisdom and the knowledge and understanding of God's word were just flatly refused and I fell for the temptation? How could I do that? You know, I believe self-accusation is about as, as a remorseful a situation as one can get into you know, when I make a mistake and I say, why did I do that? See, when I accuse myself, 
But when you go to this length of mistake or falling into temptation, imagine the self-accusation that you would have, have against yourself to know that you had better sense and did not uh, follow the instruction and you despise reproof. Now look at verse 13. And have not obeyed the voice of my teachers. I was taught better. I knew better. God's Word said better. Right? Nor incline mine ear to them that instructed me. How I refused to listen to the teaching of God's Word. How I refused to listen to the instructions that I was given. How I refused to take it to heart and follow its teachings. How sorry I am that I have done. Verse 11, and thou, and thou mourn at the last. That's what it amounts up to. You can come back to that almost every time. That's a good text or underlying text of what we're studying. And thou mourn at the last. Pick up with verse 14 now. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Now then, in verses 15 through 23, we'll find that fidelity, the good married life, the Christian life is the better path to take. It says, drink waters out of thine own cistern. That means to, to have your own wife and enjoy the blessings that are yours, that are rightfully yours. In fact, we could go back and show you where wells and cisterns and, and the blessings of a married life are all indicated here, especially in the Song of Solomon, if you care to look the references and running waters out of thine own well. In other words, you have your own wife. You have your own family. You have your own love. And the blessings will flow from there. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad. Some say this refers to the children of your uh, fidelity and of your married life, your right married life. The Bible tells us that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. The Bible tells us that children are an heritage from the Lord, right? So you have marriage and children, right? And it's all a blessing from God. It says, let, let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. In other words, keep true to your wife that you've married and let her be all of your blessings and joys and all that you need. Physically, spiritually, mentally, in every way as far as family is concerned. We know that there's the spiritual side of, of your, your association and your fellowship with God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about family life here, married life, and how that fidelity is the better path than falling for the temptress and falling for the seductress or the harlot or the adulteress, if you want to call her here a strange woman. It says uh, in verse... Uh, 19, let her be as, uh, as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times. In other words, let her love satisfy you at all times. And be thou ravished always with her love. This is husband and wife and the close relationship that they have and the blessings of life that God has intended them to have. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman and embrace the, embrace the bosom of a stranger. Why, with all these blessings that God has given you and that fidelity is the best path of life, why will you be ravished with a strange woman? It says in verse 21, our time's getting gone. I want to finish all this for you. It says, For the ways, wait a minute, 
Verse 21, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. Look at that. The ways of man. In other words, he sees all, and he considers all. In other words, look at this. The ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. That is, he sees all of it, and he pondereth all his goings. He considers all your goings, your doings, all your life. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen carefully. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not... Uh, let me, let me give, give you that. I, I may have lost it now. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See? So he sees and knows and considers all. In Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of, who, of them whose heart is perfect toward him, Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. In other words, God sees the lives of people. In the book of Job, Job chapter 30, let's see, Job 31 verse 4, look at this one. Job 31 verse 4, it says this, it says, Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? Does not God see all the your ways and count all of your steps? God knows, doesn't he? Job 34, look at this, verse 21 and 22. This is a good one. You ought to mark this one. Job 34, 21 and 22. It says, For his eyes are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. Now look, verse 22. There is no darkness, nor shadow of death. You can't hide in the dark. Nor shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. There's no hiding place. There is no darkness, no shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Back in Proverbs now, quickly we'll go on. Verse 22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself. You know, the word take indicates that he'll be taken as if in the, he's taken in a trap. You know, is a bird taken, taken in a snare, you know? So it says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. In other words, he's caught in his own trap. And it's his sins that cause the catchings. His sins were the bait. You see that? Now then, verse 23. It says, He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he shall go astray. The end of all of this evil course. What is the end of it? He will die without instruction, hoping nothing, believing nothing, and fearing nothing, without faith, without hope, without peace. Isn't that a terrible way to die? Without faith in God, without hope. The Bible says they're without hope and without God in the world. Without peace. And notice how it puts this. He shall die without instruction. That doesn't mean 
that he would not have heard instruction because remember he refused the reproof. Back up in verse uh, 12 it says, and say, how have I hated instruction? Right? It means he dies without it because he refused it. He didn't die without it because he didn't know anything. He hadn't heard anything. But he refused to hear so that he would benefit by it. Verse uh, uh, 12 ties that together. Verse 12 and verse 23 now. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, it's foolishness. Folly means foolishness. How foolish it was. He shall go astray. So you have three wonderful lessons in this chapter. First of all, you have the, uh, the title of it, Wisdom About Marriage. Then we have verses 1 through 6, the seductress. And we gave you that under the heading of the strange woman, and we called her the harlot or the adulteress. And then in verses 7 through 14, the price of unchastity. We said you can lose everything in verse 10. Uh, and, and then verses 15 through 23, you have fidelity or the good married life as God intended. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And by the way, it's good in the ministry for a man to be the husband of one wife, too. Don't ever think that God has put a priority on those that do not have wives, as some try to indicate, because it's necessary for them to have them. And so God has said, if any man desire the office of a bishop, let him be. It doesn't say let him not be the husband of one wife, but let him be the husband of one wife. And so you follow God's instruction and God's word, and things will go right. And that's why there's so much corruption in the world today, because people have tried to say, well, this is a better plan than God had. God knows all of human needs, and he knows he wants his word to be taught and preached.